Hello, everyone, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. This week, I am so excited because we get to talk to one of my favorite types of biologists, an entomologist. Um, Haley and I have been looking forward to this conversation for some time. So today we are chatting with Josh Flatch from Oregon Department of Agriculture. Josh does research and education about insects and other invertebrates. Um, I'm sure he'll define some of all of those things, bugs, insects, invertebrates for you all. Um, He also has a few focuses, but today we are going to talk to him about vineyards and insects that are impacting vineyards. So we know that there are a few people that have started listening to the podcast and are new to the wine and vineyard industry. So this is a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about those things um, and seeing about what we should be removing or dealing with in the vineyard. So basically, we're going to be talking about some invasive species, most likely. um, And we're going to talk broadly about them, but we're also going to talk probably more specific to um, Oregon and maybe a little bit of the Pacific Northwest in general. So with that, we'll get started. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Josh, I know that Ashley gave a nice little introduction, but can you just start off? We like to, at the top, give our listeners um, a little bit of where people can find your research or um, if there's specific research you really want to dive into during this conversation, you're welcome to kind of kick it off here. Sure. Um, So I'm Josh Flatch, uh, the Oregon Department of Agriculture in Salem, Oregon. Well, obviously, I guess. <laughs> so the, actually, our main focus isn't so much research. It's mostly, um, we do some some research and, and outreach, but really the, the main focus is, you know, trying to anticipate and uh, look for in, invasive species that could damage crops or forests in Oregon. And so that's really our focus, and so that's what we spend most of our resources trying to do. So it's trying to even keep them from becoming established in the state. Uh, in terms of research, so they're, they're the one research thing we do have going on is in um, just a few years ago, we had uh, Gill's mealybug detected for the first time. Uh, that was in 2014. And so, you know, if you're a grape grower, you know that there's the grape mealybug, which is a common pest, and it's going to be a vector for some of the leaf curl viruses. And so Gill's mealybug is, a, is actually a species from the southeastern United States that got established in California in the 60s and has taken a while to kind of show that it, it could be and wanted to be a pest. And uh, so now it has, and so now it's gotten in Oregon and in Jackson County, and it's probably spread, as far as we know, about a, maybe a five or more mile distance. Interesting. And, um, Is it also a disease vector? Yes. And also in the, and also in, in uh, the same area, we found uh, a vine mealybug, which is, you know, for California, they're one of their primary virus vectors. And so now we have both of those in the state. It's not, they're neither are widespread. And so what we're doing this, this summer is we're going to try to get a handle on how widespread these things are. So for Gill's mealybug, there's no trap. So, right, so vine mealybug is a trap, a pheromone-based trap. And Gill's, there's no trap yet. There's no, the pheromone isn't known. And so we're going to have technicians out in Jackson County on the ground visually searching and trying to like get a better picture of how, how widespread this is. And then the other, aspect, the other part of that is, is, and maybe this will be where your listeners could be helpful, is... Um, you know, we're encouraging folks around the state to voluntarily look for it, especially at the, um, I'm blinking on the word now. Bud break. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, when they go to do the first early? cutting of the shoots? Oh, first, um, shoot cutting. like shoot thinning? Shoot thinning, that's the word. Sorry. I'm not a vineyard person. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> shoot, thinning, shoot thinning. Yes, at that first one, that's one of the best times to see Gil's mealybug. And so as they're doing okay. that, if they think they great. see it, I'm almost done with a little brochure to send out to people. Oh, um, great. And then there's a database that we've created that they'll be able to report their, their you know, submit pictures and say where they found it. So we can get a better idea okay. where this is, if we can maybe help mitigate, keep it from spreading throughout the whole state so quickly. Same with vine mealybug, too. Um, Right. Being, that's a well-known pest that we don't want, you know, well, we don't want that spreading to the state. So that's the vine or the vineyard work that we're doing this year. Very interesting. Hey, I'm going to just jump down to another question yeah, please. <laughs> because of where this is going. But um, I was going to ask about, uh, usually I like to do this towards the end, but since you kind of brought it up, you were mentioning like the trapping aspect of it and how, you know, there's not a trap for the other one. So... Um, I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about that trapping process and maybe, um, and which I recognize doesn't work for, you're saying, the one species, but, um, and what additional things that vineyardists can be doing to help with that. So, I mean, in, in all these different industries, I mean, the thing that we that I always ask is, because the way that these things come in is oftentimes on plants, right? You know, you buy mm -hmm. plants and either they haven't been treated or inspected properly or yeah. occasionally somebody sneaks one in. That it wasn't to avoid this, the, the checking, the the inspection process is, you know, just to be careful, you know, I mean, not just with the, your plant, you know, not just the plants, but even your landscaping plants, because, you know, like a lot of mealybugs, you know, the, these mealybugs, they're not very host specific. They would, could also be on your landscaping plants. And so you could bring them in right. on a variety of things. But, you know, the snails and slugs, they could come out on the rock landscaping you bring in. I mean, think about where you're getting them from. The further you're getting them away, the more likely you're going to get something that's, that's novel and doesn't belong here. And, uh, oh, okay. And so, you know, the, the closer you can get that landscaping material or or if the, the grape stock you buy, the closer it is to where you are, the less likely you're bringing something that's that's new to the region that we don't want. Um, that's a really great piece of advice, actually. Yeah, it is, it's, a, it's a problem in all industries because there's always that temptation like, oh, this is variety I want and I can find that in France, but I'm not allowed to ship it yeah. in. <laughs> you know, anyway. It's, it's happened. Oh, I've heard. I've heard people talk about. Oh, yeah, we we took a trip to France and we brought back these plants in our suitcases, and that's how no. we planted most of our this block of whatever. And I'm always like, that sounds really illegal and bad. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> so one thing it you, does you, happen. I mean, the one thing that's super depressing is, I mean, there's a huge number of diseases that are being moved mm -hmm. because they're you know, yes. they're often invisible, and so I mean, there's, there's like all this little a list thing that I get. Um, and it's so depressing because we're, I mean, it's like we're, I don't know, it's almost like we're suicidal as a species. Like, well, how many diseases <laughs> can we bring in here? Eventually we'll find one that'll kill all these plants. We'll just keep trying. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, definitely that's a no-no. You know, please, those rules are there. They're, they're, you know, one of those rules that's written in blood. You know, the citrus, yeah. citrus greening in California brought by somebody that wanted a particular plant that they, they snuck in. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Filbert blight that was brought in by somebody that wanted a variety that they snuck in. I mean, it, yeah, it's a real thing. It costs it could cost millions and millions of dollars just because right. you think you're you're getting something special. Right. I guess it's a good reminder because I think people are so like focused in on like I want this fun plant, but to think about that larger implication on the landscape and that it's not. I know I'm always telling people about like the wood, like people you know bringing wood across places, and I'm like, don't do it, and this is why. And then it's fun. It's fun and not fun, but it's 
sometimes nice when there's like that super obvious visual thing for people of like, hey, you know how like your trees just got like decimated and like killed off and you lost that? That's because these things happen. But I think people aren't always making those connections. And so um, I definitely kudos to you all because... Yeah, it's a tough job, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's crazy because you think about, you know, Oregon's a pretty small state, right? You've got a population of like 4 million compared to the size mm-hmm. of our state. Our port is pretty yeah. small, you know, right? It's a couple days trip down the river to get to Portland. So we're not mm-hmm. a super busy, attractive place to receive shipping, especially compared to California or Washington. But we still get 10 new species established here every year. So, wow, so, that's, so every, yeah, every decade we're adding 100, 100 invertebrate things here. Yeah, and that's just the that's just invertebrates. We're not even talking about invasive plants no. or other <laughs> vertebrate species. Interesting. So, in yeah. terms okay. of the, the trapping, I mean, yeah, we're, um, I'm, I'm hoping to get some some arrangement made where maybe we could provide uh, vine mealybug traps to people who want them around the state. Because yeah. obviously, if we're not trapping, you know, the thing that would really suck. Is it uh, so? Vine mealybug is actually a quarantine pest. So if it's detected on a property, there's a quarantine oh. in place. And um, because it's such a severe pest in California, it's their primary thing they treat for, right? But um, you know, so, so so down in Jackson County, the, the quarantines are in place. But if you, but what if we have an infestation in you know Clackamas County, but we don't know about it? And it's really pretty unfair that that person's able to spread this just because they're not trapping. Because right now we don't have a statewide trapping program. And I don't know. Right. I'm hoping to get get something like that set up, but I don't have anything at the moment. Yeah. And so, plus, it's everybody at risk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that makes me wonder. So, how does a quarantine work on a piece of property? Um, if if something is detected, does that just are you not allowed to work in there? Are you only allowed to? You have to keep everything with on the property. How? how yeah, so yeah, work? it increases the um, just the, the the precautions you have to take. So you're going to have to, um, you know, kind of like clean your vehicles and yourself and your equipment and your even your hand tools when you come out of there. Because you know, mealybugs. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways that they're definitely spread is by crews moving and machinery moving between vineyards because they have that wax right. on them and they're sticky, and so and they're super mm-hmm. tiny, right? I mean, we're talking about a couple millimeters long or smaller if they're immature, right? And so they can get on the machine. Um, you know, usually they mate pretty early, so they're just ready to go and, you know, yeah. kills me, but puts out crawlers. They don't lay eggs, but um, oh, you know, they're ready to go on, you know, when they get to the next spot. And so it's really easy to spread. And then the, the crawlers can also spread by wind. So once you get them out there, right. then it becomes hard to contain. Interesting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you've been talking a lot about uh, basically you can have these pests sometimes they can be vectors <clears throat> so wh- how do you determine which pests are problem pests um like how do you d- decide that they're I-, I understand the idea of how it's an invasive species it's like not something that wasn't here and now it is here and it's thriving um it's pushing other things out but how do you decide that this is something that's impacting crops and we need to monitor it or contain it um, where, how does that come into play? That's a good question. Because that is a cha- one of the big challenges we do face. So in Oregon, we have probably about 20,000 insect species, right, within Oregon. Yeah. So quite a lot. Wow. But we've got to be able to differentiate <laughs> that from the millions that are in the world, right? I mean, world mm-hmm. commerce is such that 
just like there's just a constant stream of of species coming in. Um, and I can't even imagine what it's like in California, where they've got such huge ports. Yeah. <laughs> and we, you know, if we get ten a year, they must get. I don't know. Is our economy ten 100? times bigger than ours? Maybe. Right. Um, so so yeah. So we get all these. You know, you get in the world maybe. I don't know, 8 million species of insects, possibly. And so determining, like, well, one, which ones are at risk of coming here and what impacts will they have, that's... Because a lot for most insects, there's almost no information about them. So making that, that deduction is almost... Not impossible, but it's difficult. So, yeah, we do our best, I guess. Um, obviously, <laughs> if something's a pest somewhere else, then the risk is higher because it's already shown yeah. itself to be pesty. But, you know, you get a, something, you move it out of its natural environment and it's away from its diseases and its parasites and things like that. And suddenly it can be released, or it's on a new new crop host or a new host, and then it just yeah. goes crazy because it's so delicious. And, uh, and so, <laughs> so, so you can't really. It's, well, you can kind of you can anticipate the ones that were pests before. It's hard to right. anticipate yeah. the ones that weren't pests. You know, like a lot of the right. things we've received in the last few years were dismissed by the U, uh, USDA as pests. You know, like brown marmoset oh. stink bug was kind of initially dismissed. Spider lanternfly was initially dismissed as a pest. Spotted winged Drosophila, the whole group was dismissed. Vinegar flies were dismissed um, wow. as a non-pest group. Um, but you know, there's, it's a huge volume of things to go through, so it's it's understandable in one way, but disappointing when it happens for sure. Yeah. So, are yeah. there? You kind of already started getting at this, but are there some particular species here in Oregon, um, and maybe particularly Oregon vineyards that are horrible and we need to talk about, but maybe. Um, I mean, yeah, there are things that are definitely horrible pests. I mean, we already talked about, I mean, great mealybug, that's a European species, the one that's widespread already that it transmits, right. that's a European species. It hasn't been here all that long. And that's one of the, one of the big pests here now. But, you know, we've now got gills and fine mealybug, like we talked about. But another one that people, it wasn't that long ago that the, the Pacific Northwest, you could have grown grape stock that was on its native root. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. we didn't have grape phylloxera. But just as any other invasive species, it's, it's moved in. kind of through carelessness, you know, because you know, there are precautions you'd have to take, kind of like you would with mealybugs to stop it from spreading. And it's now spread pretty uniformly, I think, through the Pacific Northwest. Um, but, you know, that's something that, you know, because I've never talked about it, it's, you know, it nearly wiped out the French wine industry in the 1850s. It's a Eastern United States species that got moved over there. And so, yep. um, so yeah, we definitely have some, like, I would consider those huge pests, right? Because that, that, that's a... That was a vineyard replacement pest because if you didn't have if you're on native rootstock, rootstock. Right. But one of the things um, that I was going to talk about was so you guys are aware of the Pacific Northwest Insect Management Handbook? Um, I'm aware of it. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, it's a super good research resource. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's cooperatively done between the, the different extensions in the Pacific Northwest, and you know it'll give like you the background, survey methods, um, and control methods for various pests on tons of different crops. And uh, so I kind of use it as a, as a benchmark for what species are economic pests in the region. And so I, I, yesterday I just took a quick look and there were um, 29 species listed for grape on there. Oh my. And so yeah, it's actually, it's higher than average, most higher than average for other, for other crops. And so there were five of them that I can't be, I'm not quite sure where their origin is. Um, you know, it's mostly the mites that have either yeah. been here for so long that I don't know where, if, I assume they're European, but I can't find verification, so I'm ignoring them. But there's 13 species <laughs> that are clearly exotic species. You know, they came from Europe or Asia. Right. And then 11 are native species that are pests on grape. 
And so if you look at that, 45% of the pests of grape that they dealt with are exotic in origin. So if you think about that, we've brought almost half of the pests, maybe more for, for those other species that I wasn't sure about. Right. Humans have brought those with grapes. We could, have, we could have been really careful and been without some really significant pests if we had had forethought and you know worked together collectively to, to make sure we were moving things. And so basically we're caught, what, what it is, I always think, talk about it as um, like an invasion debt. You know, whether we spend the resources <laughs> to prevent something from coming, right, by inspecting stuff or treating it or whatever before it comes to the state, or we pay for it in the long run, which is forever because yeah. it gets established and then it's vectoring that disease or sucking the sap out of your plant for eternity. Yeah. So it's basically an infinite cost, I, I, would, I would argue, even if it's a very small damage, um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this infinite cost because it's then in perpetuity. Yeah. That's really a great way to look at it. (laughs) I was going to ask, with these 29 different species, um, you kind of mentioned those like common things that, you know, like cleaning your tools and, you know, your boots and like that kind of stuff. Are there pretty common things that you can do to help mitigate against all of these species? Or is it more individualistic? Um, Are there common practices that you can kind of do to help all of them? Uh, well, not for all of them, right? Because not all of them would say stick to your machinery and laborers. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those would be something you do in the process of bringing plants in, preventing them in that way. But for things that yeah, can be moved on, on, your, on your clothes. <laughs> on your yeah. clothes. So like when we, when we have our survey this summer, I'm going to have our technicians wear like a disposable outerwear Okay. Um, so that the going between vineyards is not spreading by mealybug or gills like, right? They're going to take it, they're going to yeah. throw it away between each thing. And uh, both OSU Extension and California have a really great papers talking about like, this is how you, you don't spread mealybugs and virus between vineyards. And you know, it's been laid out for a long time, but they're not practices that are commonly followed because, I mean, it's kind of, you know, if you don't have the mealybug, then you're like, oh, but why bother? I don't have the problems. Like, well, let's prevent the problem from getting here. And <laughs> right. yeah. humans aren't good at, you know, proactively preventing things. It's not, it's one of our things we have to kind of work at. And, um, but it can be done. And there, yeah. I, I, maybe I could send you the links to those things just if you guys wanted to put them on a website or something. Yeah, that would be great. We can put those in our show notes. Yeah, that would be awesome. Ashley and I both, before we um, got you on here, we talked about trapping. And so I know that she wants to hear like the hows of trapping, um, like sticky traps or what what that entails. And I, as a vineyard um, owner, would love to hear if that's something that we're interested in doing, how do I then, like, do I reach out to our local extension? Do I reach out to our Department of Agriculture in Idaho to say, hey, I'm willing to to put out a sticky trap and you guys can then take that information um, to, cause I can put out a sticky trap, but I don't know, once I do that, I don't know really what to do with it other than try to ID what's in there and see if there's any issues. <laughs> but even that can be a very tedious and, uh, I know I've misidentified many things <laughs> already. So sending Let it off to a professional. do that, Haley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's tough. Um, it's, I mean, it's really interesting to us, you know, being that we're kind of immersed in it, right? I mean, we get tons of people reporting, say, uh, Asian giant hornet. Right. Yeah. We, we don't have any Asian giant hornets that we found, but I mean, right. everything <laughs> well, from tons of reports of them. Crane flies, you know, honeybees, even yellow jackets, <laughs> uh, stink bugs, you, crickets. I mean, it's pretty amazing and to us. It's like 
Like these don't look anything like it, but clearly, to some, to you know, some members of the public, they do. And so right. we recognize that it's a. It, but we've had lots of training and lots of practice, and then you know, in yeah. high school, it's not like there's an entomology class you took. So mostly, people are taught to be really scared of insects and squeamish around them, and that's about it. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for, so trapping. So just as a little side note, so that that's the main way we look for invasive species in Oregon, right? We put like thirty thousand give or take traps around the state for, oh, wow. you know, maybe 40 different species we survey for in any given year in Oregon. Because, um, you know, we can't be, there's only a handful of us here, so we can't be everywhere yeah. in the state all the time. And so that allows you to, you know, sample a whole season long. But the mealy, the mealy bugs are tough, right? The females, they don't really move too much. I mean, they can walk, but they don't go terribly far. But the males, they can fly, and they're attracted to the female's pheromone. And the, the males are tiny, you know, two millimeters maybe, and so they're attracted to these, you know, you set out either just a sticky card or I think it's better to do like a delta trap with a sticky card inside. And then you'd put this pheromone in there. And you can buy kits from various companies. They're, you can find fine mealy bug traps online pretty easily. They're not terribly expensive. Okay. But you're right. Getting the identification is a different thing. So now the pheromones are specific enough that it should just attract um, those mealybugs. But like they said, they're super small. There are lots of other small winged things in the same size range just floating about in your vineyard, probably. So there are going to be other right. things on there. So differentiating them is pretty hard just from, a you know, starting cold. Um, and then once you find it, they have a mealybug. I mean, I've had cases where vine mealybug traps actually had quite a few um, mealybug males in them, but they turn out to be what we call grass mealybugs, which is a different genus. Okay. And so whether or not they were attracted to them, you know, it might have just been they were really near it. Um, somehow, and just a bunch of them flew in. But, you know, you, if you see a bunch of male, male mealy bugs, um, then you kind of, I mean, that should be like a red flag. Like, oh no. Right. Because um, it's a pheromone <laughs> trap. But, um, but you definitely need to find some place to look at it. And I have no idea what's, what's happening in Idaho. I mean, in Oregon, I mean, I guess you could send it to OSU Extension. Now that there's projects here, you can send it to, to us here at Oregon Department of Agriculture. Um, but that wasn't really the case before so much. Um, and they are pretty. I don't really like identifying them because they're in sticky traps and I got to like remove them to the sticky trap and make a slide mount. Um, I mean, I can make a pretty educated guess just in the sticky goo, but for something that's like a quarantine pest, I don't like to leave it to any, there to be any question at all. So, right, um, right. So, yeah, I mean, you can just get a couple traps. Um, I mean, I guess. I don't really want to see traps from Idaho. Um, but, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not. No, I'm not encouraging that. <laughs> no, it definitely needs to be a more local. Because um, yeah, there's also you would be able to identify things over here. But if you saw something that we have in our climate that's not good in your climate, but it, you know, we might have just a different enough climate that it's not a problem here. Or depending on what crop you're looking at, it's not a problem. And we. We'll uh, try to find some links for for people to be able to send stuff off if they want to. But I would say, just from talking to you, Josh, that we need to reach out to someone before you just ship your sticky traps to to somebody. Reach out and make sure that they're wanted and that they have the resources to be able to help you ID what you um, you're seeing in your on your property. Yeah, I would say even maybe before, like before you want to put it out. Yeah, too, to say like, hey, you know, even like maybe California Department of Ag or, you know, maybe even if you're near a research school or something Mm -hmm. like it, see if they have some interest in in that that you can participate in. So, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll, at the end of this too, I'll give you guys a, um, a link to our database. So Oregon folks can submit pictures um, oh, and information to our, awesome. our database that then could lead to us following up if it looks like a, a suspect. But other states I, I can't speak to. That's cool. really cool. How do you feel? Sorry, Ashley, I'm going to jump in before no. you start to wrap up. But how do you feel about people using things like the iNaturalist app to try to to identify what they have? Because I, I yeah, Ashley's shaking her head saying it doesn't work. We, we, I'm not an entomologist. I've, I, you know, I know when I see a black widow on our property that I should steer clear. But other than that, like there's very few invertebrates that I can very confidently identify. So I use iNaturalist a lot and, and not just for the bugs that I see, but also for plants and other, you know, even um, occasionally vertebrate species. So how do you feel about that? And how much um, would you, are there other sources, would you say, are good sources to use for identifying things that you can find on your property or just around? So, we, I, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of iNaturalist. It's, it's, it's good for, say, birds and things like that. And they are working oh. on some algorithms to do for it to do its own identifications, which can work for some of the yeah. bigger things, but not mealybugs. Um, no. Uh, and one of the problems that I have with iNaturalist, because I've faced this a number of times, is that is the model that they they give the, you know, those things research grade identifications, right? So basically, if three people agree, they call it research grade. And so yeah. I had an issue. <laughs> A couple of years ago, um, you know those big red slugs that you can see sometimes. They're Ar it's Arian, mm -hmm. genus Arian, and the one we have here, right here is Arian rufus, the chocolate Arian. Um, <laughs> it's a pest. It's a European thing. Um, the Arian vulgaris is that of that group is the is the biggest pest. It, it's gotten established in northeastern Canada, um, and people oh. I don't know how they found that somehow, and then they started identifying all the slugs in northern Oregon as Arian vulgaris. And that can, you know, those kind of things can trigger um, quarantines from other other regions and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So then I actually had to, it caused me to have to go around and I went out and collected slugs and dissected them and looked at their genitalia and said, no, is it still Arian Rufus? Um, <laughs> and, uh, but then there's no mechanism with, for me with like, say, I'll say I have more ex expertise than the general public. My, my, my opinion has no additional weight. Yeah, and I so see. all I could do is go and make a comment in there and say, hey, yeah. don't don't call it this anymore. This isn't known from this region. These are really hard to differentiate. We shouldn't be calling yeah. them anything unless you're dissecting them or you're doing DNA work. Anyway, yeah, so that, so I find that a very frustrating platform to use. Yeah. So what I like Bug Guide. Bug Guide doesn't Bug do mollusks, guide. but Bug Guide um, is a clunky old platform that I don't think is very well financially supported, but it <laughs> is moderated by experts and, okay. and your opinion is weighted by your skill level. <laughs> and so I actually use that to help me identify things like leafhoppers and stuff like that because it's not good literature for leafhoppers. Um, hey, anything that the experts are using, I think is a big endorsement. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's get some more funding into that so that it can be built up. I think that's awesome. And maybe more people using it will yeah. help. It I didn't get... realize when I use iNaturalist and I am trying to identify something, I didn't realize if I say, oh, yeah, I think this is what this bug is, that that then will start to trigger like um, more identifications of that. Yeah, um, it becomes species. trendy. Right, right. And that, I mean, that makes sense. That's how the, an algorithm works. But it also, 
you have all these, am, not even amateurs, sometimes just, I don't, somebody just taking a picture, not even an amateur <laughs> saying, what is this? Sure, that's what it looks like. I'll click on it. So I'll stop doing that because I don't want well, to cause I mean, if you're familiar <laughs> with it, it's fine. And it works great for big things, you know, big things that you don't have to yeah. look at their genitalia for. Right. <laughs> I was just going to ask, uh, that slug project was was something that my friend helped out with, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Forest Park? Cool, cool. Um, and I was going to say that I think iNaturalist can be used as like a get people excited, mm-hmm. but know its limitations. Um, and... I will say that from the amphibian world and plant world that I have definitely seen exactly what you're talking about, where it's just (laughs) like, that's not that. And there's no way to say, like, even if it's your own item and you know it's not what people are saying it is, there's no way to like say, nope, nope, please stop saying (laughs) that that it's this item. So that's really good to know. Yeah. But other identification guides, um, if you go to odaguides.us, that we've got a bunch of... um, Things for identifying like stink bugs and uh, bees Ooh. and slugs and snails in Oregon. It would work in the rest of the Pacific Northwest too, to some extent. Um, so that's that's one of the things. And then if if you go to ODA's webpage, we have a bunch of um, identification guides, mostly for wood borers, so not mostly useful for the general public. Um, okay, but there are and we have lots good. of pest alerts on our website also that talk about pests that are either recently established here or that we're fearful are going to come. Like spider lantern fly that's in the east, it's we're anticipating will come here at some point. Cool. Okay. What about Zertzi's Society? Are they good for some things? <laughs> that seems judgy. Um, <laughs> no, I, love, I love the Zertzi Society. I just yeah. I uh, yeah, they they, they are good at generating lots of enthusiasm. They they're you know they deal they okay. do some, some bee work. They just certainly do the the best with some of the, the butterfly stuff. Um, I don't and personally interact with them very much. I okay. feel like they're probably like a different, uh, a different peg of that stool of like they're really. I feel like the Xerces Society is really good at promoting planting certain things and encouraging certain things rather than identifying um, pests. But I could be incorrect. You'd work with them way more than I have. Actually. Yeah, I don't think they would normally gener- I would identify agree with that. new pests. But yeah, they're good at generating enthusiasm about issues around, especially endangered or rare yeah. um, species and stuff like that. Creating good habitat versus... Yeah, the habitat work they like Mediocre. To do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so I think, Haley, are we ready to wrap up or do we have some other additional yeah. questions we wanted to ask? No, I think we can, you can go ahead and ask your favorite question. Well, it's really your favorite question. But Josh, <laughs> this is the time to... Um, mention if there is anything that we didn't ask that you wish we would have or a topic to to discuss a little bit more. I know we covered a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I guess I would kind of come back to the thing we talked about at the beginning is that, you know, people think about where they get plants and other articles that they're bringing into the state and be aware that, um, I mean, you know, like, say containers in ports, we're expecting like two, maybe 4% of the containers that come in. And so we're guaranteed we're bringing stuff in. We're bringing in billions of plants from outside the United States. And we've, at least back when it was looked at, like in 2010, you know, each of those inspectors had like millions of plants to look at every year. You know, we, we don't have adequate resources to protect our international borders. And people are generally unaware of this. And people kind of don't 
but since they're not aware, they don't tend to care. But that also means that our, our representatives, our legislature, legislators don't know about it either. And they're the ones that kind of control how these things are funded and, and what resources are put into them. And so, it's, you know, one of the things I always encourage folks is, you know, let your legislators know you care about these invasive species issues. We don't want to continuously bring in new crop pests. And that really the best place to do that is at the plant inspections at the international ports and inspecting containers at the international ports. I mean, those are, those are going to have the biggest impact and make my job seem less difficult, maybe, in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> or at least more hopeful. <laughs> more hopeful, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's actually true. Well, I, I love like that, that you mentioned, the like, I had never thought about buying rock before and the fact that if you buy a couple bags of pea gravel while you're two states over because they're on sale and you, you're going to haul them home, that could then bring in, like, a pest. I, it's one thing to bring in plants, but I didn't even think about rocks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I mean, yeah, that could bring in, like, say, exotic worms or flatworms or something, for sure. But, you know, like, the spot lanternfly is a good chance that'll come on large things. You know, it lays its eggs on, and sticks them on hard surfaces. And that's probably, that's, yeah. uh, I believe it came from uh, Asia, it was on stone for landscaping. Yeah, interesting. Another reason to buy local. I love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. We really appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll get some follow-up questions from listeners and we'll um, see if we can have you on again, uh, maybe uh, after your busy season. <laughs> and uh, feel free to share um, this with any new winery professionals you might know, listeners, or people that are doing any landscaping or managing vineyards. And we all need a little help IDing and taking care of invasive species. So feel free to check out our show notes. We'll have some links there and uh, some important tools that'll make it a little bit easier. And reach out to your local extensions and your um, local Department of Agriculture offices to see what you can be doing to help. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.